Well, it's a new year, obviously a new you, or maybe it's a new year and the same you with all your same issues and same struggles, but we know for sure that we are dealing with and worshiping the same God who is unchanging in His love and His mercy aimed at you. So before we get into the Word, let's, let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you are unchanging and that your love does not fail, and you are the same yesterday and today and forever. But many of us, we would like to change, and some of the change that we want is good, and some of it is not so good. But Lord, we do want to grow in our relationship with you, and some of us just want our circumstances to change, because we sometimes don't see that the difficult circumstances are where we grow. And so I just ask that you would uh, remind us from your word this morning on how you are here with us, you love us, you've not left us, you've not forsaken us, and since you are the same, please help us to grow and mature in you. This morning, as we open your word, may your spirit speak to us by your truth. In Christ's name, amen. There's a book out there that I read recently called How to Think by Alan Jacobs. He describes a common occurrence of college students. I do not know if this is your occurrence, but he explains that sometimes on the first day of class, the professor will say that the students are about to be challenged. In fact, they're going to be challenged to reconsider everything they have ever been taught by their parents, by their schools, and by their religion. The idea is that most of what the students have learned is probably deficient and they need more enlightenment of the truth. And the source of that enlightenment will be you-know-who, the professor. So you need to challenge everything except, of course, the professor. And I think about us as Christians that we can be susceptible to those who either want to erase the gospel of Jesus from our life, there are those that want to subtract from the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there are those who want to add to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever met anybody who wants to add to the gospel of Jesus? That they, they, wanna, they want you to get like a, a, an experienced life, and you need some enlightenment, and you need a different salvation and fullness. It's like, have you ever heard this? You start with the good news of Jesus, but then you need to move on and start to add stuff to it, or you won't elevate your life. You will not be enlightened. Now, I want to make sure that you understand this. There are people, maybe you're one of them, that I've experienced over the years who will say something like this. You are a Christian, okay, but you're not living the elevated Christian life. You need to take your Christian life to the next level. And part of that next level thinking is you need to have an spiritual experience. And that experience means that you need to visit a certain city to get that blessing. So about 20 years ago, it was called Toronto. Go to Toronto, and you're going to get the Toronto blessing. 
Another said, no, no, no. Now it's not Toronto anymore. If you want the fire, you got to go to Kansas City. But now the hip place to be, if you want the fire of God to elevate your life, you've got to go to Redding, California. Right? You've heard these things before, right? Have you ever heard anybody tell you, you know, if you really want your life changed, now this is not going to happen in our church, okay? Maybe you've seen this in other church. You just need a new diet. You need, in fact, a Christian diet. And what you'll find in some churches is people selling powders and pills in a nice little pyramid scheme to take your life to the next level. I've actually interacted with someone in our church before who told me that You know, all these people in our church are struggling, but what they need is a new counseling approach. And then he proceeded to tell me about a counseling approach where he went to this counselor and bam, no more struggles, no more issues. So you need to be enlightened. You need Jesus plus something else. But I think one of the most prominent things that you'll hear is that people will tell you, oh, you go to that church? Oh, that's fine. They believe the Bible, but that's fine. But you need to go to the next level. You need a next level church with next level leaders so you can take your spiritual life to the next level. What we're seeing and hearing these things, and even within our culture, and it's different in different cultures around the world, is that Jesus is fine, but you need something else. And what we are going to hit over and over again for the next two to three months is the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. The gospel that once saved you now grows you. The gospel that once saved you now grows you. The Jesus who saved you is the one who grows you. There is no starting with Jesus and then moving on to something else. And over the next two months, we're going to burn this into your heart as we study the Word of God. So go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament, the book of Colossians. We're starting a new book today. I know a lot of you are sad and some of you are excited that Song of Songs is over. That was fun, wasn't it? Uh, Now we're in Colossians. (laughs) Why don't you go ahead and stand as as I read the passage this morning. We're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And has, been no, and has made known to us your love and the Spirit. Amen. You may be seated.
the Apostle Paul is writing this. He's writing to the Colossians to address some form of heresy that is not fully articulated in this letter, but we can tell that it's a movement from the gospel to some type of higher plane. It's the gospel plus something else. Douglas Moo has said it like this. He said, the gospel can be perverted through addition just as easily through subtraction. And to combat this heresy that's floating around in the church, what the Apostle Paul does is he elevates the supremacy of Christ and he encourages believers to stand firm. In other words, he doesn't develop the heresy. He doesn't act like the Colossians need to understand everything about the heresy. He roots them deep in the gospel of Jesus. So let me give you a wordy overview of this book. Here's a little wordy overview. It says this, Colossians shows us that the preeminent Christ has triumphed over evil through the cross and is reconciling all things in himself, and we can therefore share in his victory, free to new life in the conquering Christ. Do not try to write that down. (laughs) Let me give you something uh, simple. Life in the conquering Christ. That's what this book is about, life in the conquering Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8, where Paul and Timothy are expressing their gratitude for the Colossians' fruitful response to the gospel. And we're going to hit over and over again, the gospel that saved you now grows you. Now, when you look through verses 1 through 8, it's, it's, some, it's really hard to, to track, right? It's like it all kind of runs together in some awesome, cool stuff. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some type of structure or three phases to think through this, but it really just blends together. Uh, the three phases of some structure here is uh, phase one, once you think about the nature of the gospel, and think about the fruit of the gospel and the teachers of the gospel, and that just kind of all runs together throughout uh, the passage. A lot of today, if you want to really track with what's going on, you really got to have your head down a lot, your head down a lot looking at the Bible, your head down a lot, because it really runs together in a, in a powerful way. So let's go ahead and start with the nature of the gospel in Colossians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Now, Paul did not directly plant this church, and he never visited the church Paul planted the church at Ephesus that ended up planting this church. Epaphras, the church planner, would give Paul reports on the church. And at this time of the writing, Paul is in jail. And though he is a prisoner, he starts out by saying, as you can see in verse 1, that he is an apostle, which means he's called and authorized and sent by Christ to lead the church. And it's not that he's just trying to throw around his authority by claiming to be an apostle, because it wasn't by his choice. He was made an apostle, as you see once again in verse 1, by the will of God. And Timothy is more of an apostolic representative or a co-laborer. And later on, we'll see Epaphras is the planter. So you have Paul, Timothy, and Epaphras, and they are all speaking this very same gospel that saves them and grows them. Now to the recipients and the greeting in verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father. It's a typical greeting from Paul. You'll see it in many of his letters of grace and peace from God our Father. And in this case, the recipients were this church located in Colossae, which is very similar to Evanston or Chicago, known for its diversity of cultures and religions. But I want you to notice that though Colossae is their location, it's not their identity. Look again in verse 2. It says their identity is stating in terms of a people or a family in Christ. These brothers and sisters have an identity and meaning in Christ, not in Colossae. And I'm bringing this up now early on because we're going to hit this in Christ language, this identity language of you being crucified, buried and raised with Christ and seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. That is your identity. Now, it's not that you can't take the good from your background, your city or your cultural background, but you want your primary identity and life in Christ to rule the day. I want you to think about your own cultural background. We all have, we all have culture. I uh, was interacting with Dr. Peter Cha up at Trinity uh, Seminary, and he was saying that as we think about our own cultural backgrounds, we want to take the good aspects of our culture, but let the sinful aspects go. And so how do we take the good from our culture and let the sinful aspects go? It's not often going to happen on our own. It will happen as we are together in community. You see, in a, in a multi-ethnic community, we can affirm the good of each culture, but sometimes we have to, to call out and be willing to be called out of the not-so-good in, in each culture because we want to be people controlled in Christ. We are no longer in Adam. So whatever the sinful part of the background must be redeemed in Christ because in Christ is your core identity. More on that later once we hit chapter 3. Keep going. Look at verse 3. Colossians 1, 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul is thankful for them, their faith in Christ. Once again, keep your head down because this is a lot of run-together stuff here. He's thankful for their love for all the saints. He heard of their faith and their hope and their love. He heard about it from Epaphras. And this faith and love, it's, it's Holy Spirit produced. As we notice in verse 8, if you want to jump around, uh, down to verse 8, it says, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So they have faith, they have love, and it's produced by the Holy Spirit. But get this. Just because I say the Holy Spirit produces faith and love in and through you doesn't mean that God does not use a means to fuel your faith and love. And that means to fuel your faith and love in this passage is called hope. Did you see it there again? In verse 5, because the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because there is this reality of eternal life, it should impact the way we live now because of what's coming later. 
You can think about it if you're a student or if you work and you know the weekend's coming and during the week you're just kind of like, uh, but you keep going because you know the weekend is coming. What we would say as Christians is that we can continue to express faith and love because we have the hope of eternal life. And I'm going to kind of push you a little bit hard on this because uh, if you have hope, it should cause you to live in such a way that you are distinguished from the people of this world who do not have such hope. And so I really want to press this upon you, especially if we start 2018. If I looked at your life, or if anybody looked at your life, is there, in some sense, that the way you're living and the decisions that you're making do not make sense unless there is eternity? Like, if I looked at your life really close, I was like, oh, but that does not make sense unless you're going to live forever with Jesus. Oh, that's crazy what you're doing. Are you Oh, that makes sense now that there is eternity. There's once this, this, this dude from Chicago um, many, many years ago. His name uh, was William Borden, and he was this young guy. His, his parents had millions, and he was going to get millions, and he could have millions, and he could live large the rest of his life. So he goes to Yale. He goes to Princeton. But he's like, man, I want to be a missionary. <laughs> and so he wants to go learn some language. He goes over to Egypt, and he's... He's learning language, and while he's there, he gets sick, and he dies on the mission field. Just 25 years old. Dude could have had millions, and he's dead. But if you went to Egypt, Cairo, right now, and looked on his tombstone, this is no joke. This is what his tombstone says. It says this. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation of such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation of such a life. And I would like to look at you and I say, okay, apart from faith in Christ, apart from the reality of heaven, your life does not make sense. I just don't take it so extreme. You don't need to go off and get sick and die. Just take it, okay. It doesn't make sense that you would pass over that promotion to spend more time with your family. Oh, maybe that makes sense, but does it make sense that you would pass over the promotion to spend more time with your church? That doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense that you would go out of your way to serve others. There's this, there's this guy in, in Chicago. He has like six, seven, or eight guys living with he and his wife. Like, dude, what are you doing? That does not make sense unless there is an eternity. I uh, have some people in this church who, from time to time, will take children into their home through safe families. Kids need home. And, and, and you're like, well, that doesn't make sense that you bring kids into your home because you already have several kids. Are you crazy? Oh, it doesn't make sense unless there is a Jesus, unless he is Lord, unless there's eternity. And so I look at your life, and I ask you simply, look at your life, examine your life, and say, okay, this part doesn't make sense unless there is eternity. Do you see it? Hope is fueling this faith. Hope is fueling this love. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Back to Colossians 1, verse 5. 
Paul says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, there's going to be a whole lot of gospel language flowing around, right? There's going to be a whole lot of gospel language flowing around. And, and if you go to this church, you're going to go, oh, they're talking about the gospel again. But have you ever wondered, like, what does that mean? Maybe you're, you're new this morning or been in church a long time. And you're like, could you please just tell me what it means when you say gospel? What does that mean? Let me just put up a passage I think is probably one of the most clearest explanations of the gospel. It comes from 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. So, uh, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you. Okay, here's the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Right there is a gospel in summary form. You have the death of Jesus for sinners, and his burial and resurrection, where he conquered sin, death, and sin, and Satan. And this is a gospel that is received by faith, okay? That is a snapshot of the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for sinners. And it is received by faith, but it is something that we receive by faith through grace. Now, I know a lot of different church backgrounds in here, once again. And if you have a church background, you would likely affirm Jesus. But there are some church backgrounds that say, yes, Jesus plus this, 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 and this. Right, right, right? So it's Jesus, praise God that he died and rose again, but now it's works, works, works. Right? Yeah, you're familiar with, maybe from that background. But you need to understand this concept of grace. And we see it here once again in verse 6. He says, they heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. They know the truth of the gospel, and it is centered on grace. And grace can be the most freeing thing. If you've never heard this before, you may think, okay, Jesus did his part, now I've got to do my part. No, no, it's all Jesus' part, and it's a gift you receive by grace through faith. Grace is displayed in God's undeserved Salvation action in Christ, whereby he allows sinners favorable access to him. I mean, grace is displayed in God's undeserved salvation in Christ, whereby he allows sinners favorable access to him. And once again, that may be a little wordy, but I think little kids can get this. Little kids can get this. My, my seven-year-old daughter, she goes to Awana. Many of your kids go to Awana, and they, they learn verses about Jesus and one of the verses she was learning this week was, was Romans 5, 8, that, yeah, you know this one, God demonstrated his own love to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think a seven-year-old can understand that. Oh, you mean, while I was a sinner, Jesus died for me then. He didn't wait for me to be good and to do good things while I was in my sin. That's when he died for me. And this is a salvation I can receive by grace. So I receive it, it's a free gift, and I receive it by faith. So it's not 
Jesus died on the cross, now you do your thing. And we've got to be very careful as parents because we want our kids to be good, right? We want them to obey the rules. But we have to be careful that we're not saying, yes, it's Jesus, but you need to do this, this, and this, or you're going to hell, <laughs> right? We've got to teach them about grace, lavish it upon them. And that's what we find here at this gospel of grace. But also notice that this gospel is also one of truth. Just look at verse 5 again. See if you can see the word truth in there somewhere. You see it? Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth. And you look at verse 6 at the very end. You see it there? Understood the grace of God in truth. So not many salvation truths, but this salvation truth, the gospel. And this is Paul's way of probably taking shots at false teachers and uh, that have been invading the church, and he's trying to establish and encourage the church in the truth that they have heard and understood in the grace of God. There's this famous uh, kind of dorky story of uh, this evangelist interacting with this guy, and the evangelist is saying, hey, man, what, what do you believe? And the man said, uh, I believe what my church believes. And, and the evangelist said, okay, what does your church believe? And the man said, um, what I believe. And the evangelist said, and, and what do you both believe? And the man said, we both believe the same thing. I'm assuming that some of you, like me, have grown up in church, and there have been times in your life where you're not sure what you believe. And if you're not sure what you believe, I'm just, I'm just saying, you may be susceptible to this, this concept of syncretism. Do you know what that means? It means like you, you know some church stuff, and then you blend it with some other stuff you see on social media or, or the world, and then you create your own beliefs, right? But what you're, you don't realize that you're doing is that you're just blending stuff because you don't, you don't know the truth. And, and, and I, I'm susceptible to it in my own life, and, and I believe we are all susceptible to it. I, my guess is there is no one in here that would say they believe things that are not in the Bible, right? Everyone here would make the assumption that you believe the Bible. There's been no mixture in your life, right? That somehow you've escaped that, that this is written to Colossians, but it's not written to EBF because there's no mixture in your life. Well, maybe, maybe not. But you need to be careful of blending stuff, Sometimes you can see this when Christians start to act and say stuff with regard to politics. They'll say stuff like, God is endorsing this candidate as if God somehow revealed to them that he is endorsing a candidate. It's a mixture. And I can see this also in moral positions as there is a slippage in sexual ethics where we say things like, oh, to love means to affirm everything about someone. That's, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. And, and if that's you, you're just, you're just mixing stuff. You're just blending stuff. Same happens in theological positions. Some will say, yeah, Jesus saved me from my sins, but he is not the only way to heaven. You're just mixing stuff. You're just blending stuff. What my... Um, Oldest son and I, and I like to say is that you are just making stuff up. 
when we hear something like, you're just making stuff up. When you say stuff like, yeah, to love means to affirm everything. Jesus is not the only way to heaven. We can mix and match what the Bible says, and you're just making stuff up. We want to stay rooted in the truth of the gospel. Because, you know, it's only this gospel that saves. It's only this gospel that bears fruit. Look at verse 6 again. It's, it says, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God in truth. It is only this gospel that is spreading throughout the world. Remember, it, it went out in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of earth, and it's come all the way to Evanston, and it saved us. It's this pervasive gospel. We talk about the pervasive gospel here, and we have this cool little image of these, these waves. You know, you just think about the ripple of waves or sound waves. The gospel kind of goes out, and it, and it saves, and it converts people, and it grows them uh, outside of the church and even inside of the church. And it's this gospel that bears fruit. And it's this gospel we do not want to move on from. I mean, can you imagine? Jesus saves, he converts, he fills you with the Spirit, and you, for you to say, now you need something else to go to the next level. No, it's only this true gospel, centered on Christ, that bears fruit. But what about those who, who teach it and proclaim it? Look at the last part. This is the, the faithful ministers. Verses 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now make sure you, you track with this. Paul did not plant this church. Never been there. Epaphras did. I want you to get this. Epaphras, get this, has traveled to Rome to get some wisdom and help from Paul, who's in jail, on the invasion of false teachers. For those of you who want to calculate the mileage from Colossae to Rome, that would be 1,000. There is no planes. You know that. There's no cars. So Epaphras, the church planner, loves the Lord, loves the church so much that he's going to make this difficult journey 1,000 miles to make sure that the church held on to the true gospel. That's a lot of work. And I, and I thought, would, would I do that? Like, how hard would you work to make sure that believers stand firm in Jesus? Like, how hard would you work? How, how much would you go out of your way to encourage others to keep walking through? How disturbed would you be if people are straying? Like, really? How, how much would you go out of your way, make your life difficult, to lovingly correct someone else who is straying? How much do you love people in your life, your church, the body of Christ, that you go out of your way in a way that could be uncomfortable to, to, to rebuke people who are straying. I was reading this book. It's called Forged in Crisis. It's such a good book. It just talks about different leaders and how they reacted to um, trials. Forged in Crisis. So there is one of the leaders I talked about in there. You've heard of him before. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Pastor. He was opposing Hitler and the Nazis, which eventually cost him his life. He was, and as a pastor and theologian, what he did, he was very frustrated with, the, with the, the church in Germany as they claimed to be Christians while they were siding with the Nazis and they were too scared to stand up for them. 
And so he got thrown into jail, and he wrote this letter, and he's like, what is bothering me incessantly is the question of what Christianity really is. Who's Christ for us today? And he said that it seems like the Christians can get along fine without God as God is being pushed more and more out of the church and out of their lives. So he confronts the church to stand firm in the gospel, and the church is wavering, and you know the story. The results were devastating for the country, for the world, and for the church. And I think about Bonhoeffer, who lost his life, standing firm in the gospel. I think about Epaphras traveling 1,000 miles to help the church stand firm in the gospel. So let's just have a little family conversation here. Where would you go out of your way to encourage people to stand firm in the gospel? Or can I speak to you right now as those who may be drifting right now? And I may encourage you to stand firm in the gospel. Maybe you have got to a point where you're thinking about adding to the gospel, that your, your Christian life seems kind of blah and numb and apathetic, and you're thinking, Jesus is not enough. Perhaps I need something else. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you have, you're not too happy with the way you're received by other people in the world, and so you start mixing and matching the gospel with other stuff. You're just making stuff up. Is that you? Just making stuff up so people will like you? Is that you? Are you making stuff up? Or maybe you're finding identity not in Christ. You're finding your identity outside of Christ. And I ask you the question, are you growing and bearing fruit right now? Are you, look at your life. Are you growing? Are you bearing fruit? If someone looks at your life, you say, you know what? Your life does not make sense unless there is eternity. Because Jesus who saved you is the one who grows you. The gospel who saved you is the one who grows you. And I know we're hitting here the first Sunday of the year, and there's a lot of New Year's resolutions floating around, and that's fine. I'm, I'm cool with New Year's resolutions. I don't really make them too often. But that's, that's great if you do. And I don't want to put more resolutions on you and more burdens on you, but there's one thing that I want to encourage you to resolve or to commit to in 2018. And you probably won't make it a priority, but I'm going to urge you to make it a priority, and it's this. You have got to be in community You've got to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage you, who can build you up. And for those of you who have been living the isolated Christian life, you've got to jump in community. I don't care if you're a student or if the oldest person in here, you've got to be in community. And these little ethos communities that we have over the city are not just little side attractions from the main event on Sunday morning. We want those to be the main event. <laughs> and then we come back together and worship. So let me encourage you strongly to grab your bulletin and say, I'm going to be in community because it is in community that you learn more and more that the gospel that saved you is the gospel that grows you. Let's pray. Father, you are so in control, everybody in here.
And for those who thought the new year was going to bring uh, a new them <laughs> right away, and they're still struggling with the same problems they had last year and the same doubts and the same pain, I just ask that you minister to them. And if they start to look elsewhere to get something else, to take them to the next level, or they look more and more outside of the gospel, or they start blending stuff and making stuff up, or just let them know that you love them. You have so much grace aimed at them in the cross of Christ, so much love and mercy. And that you would forgive me and forgive anyone in here when we look outside of you for sufficiency, for identity, for love, because you saved us and you loved us. You love us now. And Lord, as we go to this time, as we start to think about your death and resurrection through the Lord's Supper, and we have a time of prayer with the, with the elders, I just ask that you would move by your spirit and you would minister to your body in a significant way this morning. And give us the commitment to continue this throughout the week in community as we continue to worship and grow in you and realize, yes, you saved us, but you have an ongoing work of growing us. And for that, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.